0: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bone market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. I people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just entertain, but to educate, teach, coach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Is there a real slowdown coming or just a lull before the Fed cuts interest rates and reignites the economy? Next week, we'll get a slew of earnings reports that will give us much better sense of where we're headed. And Look, after a not-so-hot day where the Dow ultimately slipped 69 points, S&P declined 0.62%, the Nasdaq lost 0.74% because of an escalation of tensions in the East among Britain, the United States, and Iran. Before that, by the way, the market was doing very, very well. You need to understand that we're about to embark on the busiest week of the year for industrial earnings. We'll be flooded with new information. If you can't handle it or can't handle the noise, especially if there's now some sort of conflagration in the Gulf, this might be the perfect week to take your summer vacation. So what is the game plan? All right, the week starts off pretty benign. On Monday, we have two important quarters in terms of gauging the strength of the economy. We hear from Whirlpool, it's the iconic appliance maker, and we hear from Halliburton, okay, uh, the big oil service company. I think both will be suboptimal. Even with these latest reports that Iran's revolutionary guards, the Republican Guard, you know, they just seized. Get this. They seized a British oil tanker. You know what happened? The price of crude barely budged, for heaven's sake. Maybe Halliburton confirms what Slumberger already told us. Big shakeup on the board over there. The second half will be better. But that's, this market is... Not the least, but sanguine about oil. As for Whirlpool, the banks have told us that the consumer is flush. We heard that from Brian Moynihan the other day uh, at Bank of America. But how flush? Whirlpool's washer and dryer sales are going to tell a better tale. By the way, as I said this morning, if we have a down on Monday, maybe because of Iran, maybe because of an errant presidential tweet about the trade negotiations, you might want to consider buying the stock of American Express. It got slammed today, down 2.8%, because Wall Street thinks they're spending too much money to build a worldly, uh really build out loyalty. You know what? That's just a mistake. And the quarter report, I'm telling you, was a good one. Tuesday morning, we hear from one of my favorite companies, United Technologies. I bet that CEO Greg Hayes has nothing but good things to say. The problem, some investors are extremely critical of the decision that he has made to merge the aerospace and defense business with Raytheon after he breaks up the company into three pieces. I think it's a good move for United Technologies, but Hayes has got to come out on this call and flesh out why he thinks this deal is worth doing. Coca-Cola reports, too. Last night I got a question about this one. I said James Quincy, the uh, relatively new CEO, is doing an admirable job running the company, and I'll stick with it. I stand by the judgment, but this is not an exciting stock. It's just a stock that kind of goes up over time. After the close, we get results from an opposite kind of stock. I'm talking about Chipotle. The expectations here have been ratcheted up to levels that would be too high for most companies to handle, but not this superb chain. I like it. I'd recommend buying some before the quarter and some after, just in case it pulls back. Then there's Visa. Yep, symbol V. This is an amazing money machine. I often feel like I'm sliding Visa when I highlight American Express like I just did a minute ago. But this stock is an erratic trader. It often sells off when even the best of reports, giving you the single finest moment to pick some up into weakness. Why don't you check the, if you disagree, check the chart out of letter V? It always works. I can't wait for Wednesday because Wednesday we hear from Boeing. Now, the company has taken a $5.6 billion charge for the 737 MAX issue. You heard about it all day. It is hard to quantify the money that's involved with this kind of problem. But this charge, I think, gives you some certainty. And that's what we've all wanted in Boeing. That makes Boeing's quarter a lot less risky as far as I'm concerned. We also hear from Caterpillar. Hey, talk about less risky. A month ago, we spoke to Jim Umpleby, he's the CEO, and he told a terrific story of a new, more consistent cat, consistent being the key word here, one that's less hostage to episodic and spotty growth and to business cycles. Big buyback, nice dividend, lean manufacturing, labor costs good. I think cat's a buy ahead of the report. And then I doubled down more after we see the numbers. My travel trust has a big position. After the close, we find out if Tesla's making money. I know that sounds odd, but that's what we're really looking for here. Uh, now that Elon Musk can't tweet, under the order of the government, remember? We have to wait until the quarter to learn how the company's doing. Tesla's become the ultimate battleground where good news sends it up huge. While bad news dogs it but doesn't destroy it anymore, as there are too many short sellers. The trade's what we call too crowded. People get mad at me because I won't take a stand on Tesla, but I simply think it's a cold stock. Cold stocks are hard to gain, so why should I try uh, doing the hard money when one of my themes is Go for the easy money. Then there's Facebook. Congress has been raking them over the coals again, this time about Libra. Their proposed cryptocurrency, which I think is actually a good idea, but obviously it's been drowned out by all the hullabaloo. I think Facebook's going to deliver a good quarter. Very good. Remember, a year ago, was really the darkest time for Facebook. The company's getting hammered over the way they handle your data. They had a nasty shortfall. But in the end, I don't think Facebook's business has been hurt at all. You know why? Because the advertisers still love it, still love it, because the readers still love it. And that's called journalism. Or at least some form of journalism. I'm liberally using the term. Also Wednesday, PayPal reports. Now, I bet Kramer Faith CEO Dan Schulman will trace out the next phase of the payment company's growth. However, PayPal stock tends to stall after earnings, especially when it's had a big run going into the quarter, as it has this time. So if you're going to buy PayPal, I have to suggest, if not demand, that you until after reports. Now, some companies punch above their weight in terms of action, and one of my favorite is Xilinx, okay? Now, I'll be listening to this, you might not be, but it's the best way to gauge the trade tensions with China. Xilinx is a semiconductor play with huge exposure to Chinese 5G infrastructure. Listen closely to this one, or I will do it for you. They may know more than anyone else about what the Chinese are thinking. Hey, also on Wednesday, talk about one you actually can buy ahead of it uh, and been making money. It's ServiceNow. That's the cloud-based software company with a fantastic track record of turbocharged growth. There are no sure things in this market, but CEO John Dono tends to deliver. Wow, let's take a look at that chart. Thursday, we have a make-or-break quarter, and it's the quarter for 3M. Okay? Now, last time around, the results were not so hot. Actually, previous quarter, they weren't so high either. But uh, other than the lackluster earnings, there was a nasty revelation about a groundwater problem caused by 3M chemical. It might be bigger than we thought. It's been around, but now I think we're starting to see some big numbers. Will they address it this time? Will they put it near the top of the call? How important is it? Well, will the narrative going forward be changed? It's certainly a huge concern. I mean, look what Legal Woes did to Johnson Johnson last week. The stock was pancaked after a great quarter. At least 3M's already sold off coming into the quarter. Thursday, we're going to be acting. We hear from Amazon, which has been a total horse going into the quarter, with just a little profit taking after the Prime Day extravaganza earlier this week. The actual earnings here are always a wild card. I'll be paying more attention to Amazon Web Services, Andy Jassy's outfit, to see if it can match the strength of Microsoft's competing Azure platform, which was extraordinary. What an opportunity to buy Microsoft at the end of the day today. You know, I'm a huge believer in in, uh, in this stock. It's, this is really it's one of the three largest positions in my Chapel trust, uh, in part because I think Amazon Web Services is worth a lot more than it's getting credit for. At the same time, Alphabet reports. Periodically, I've been at odds with this company, mainly when it reports a quarter that's simply incomprehensible. Now, we're looking for less spending and more profits. Is that too much to ask? It's been a bummer going into every, almost every quarter that I can recall these times. We'll be different. Don't bet on it. Bat, sh- bat on shoulder. Earlier this week, I told you portfolio managers can't get enough of Starbucks. I still like it, although I want to emphasize that when this stock runs into earnings, and is had really run into earnings, it tends to be a disappointment. Finally, you want reliable? McDonald's reports on Friday morning. I reckon buying into any dip next week. We've got some practice in Iran, you buy McDonald's, okay? Steve Easterbrook is a Dynamite CEO, and the comparisons are getting really easy. What's not to like? Bottom line, huge week. I won't even get to most of these quarterly conference calls until the wee hours of the night, but I will do it for you. At least I'll read them. You should, too, if you're going to take action. If you try to do something during this particular earnings season this week and the week after without doing your homework, I'm going to guarantee you something. You're going to get hurt. James in Tennessee, James. Hey, Mr.
1: Kramer, how are you today? I am having a good day,
0: James. How about you?
1: Oh, great. Greetings from the Volunteer State. Go Vols. I have a quick question for you, if I can, and I appreciate all your help and your dedication to your craft and I always enjoy talking to people I consider the best in their field if you will. Oh, you're
0: very kind. I work hard. There are people who are better, but I thank you so much.
1: Oh, I don't know about that. Uh, anyway, my stock is one of our favorites, NVDA, Nvidia. Uh, my question, actually, I have a two-part question. I bought this stock myself about three months ago uh, when it was in the high 100s, around the 190 range. Okay. Excuse me, I'll take that back. I bought it, it was in the 160s. It had been in the 190s. Uh, came down some, uh, and then the trade thing started, uh, so on and so forth. And I caught a segment that you were doing about the Huawei connection, and I had a two-part question if I could ask you. Yeah. Uh, does uh, Is Huawei connected whatsoever with NVIDIA? number one and number two do you believe nvidia uh, can get back up to those uh the range that I was describing. All right, that's in the an excellent question. Hundreds.
0: Thank you for those kind words. Okay, yes, it is connected, but in a tangential way. See, because NVIDIA is trying to close a deal with Mellanox, which is really, really important as an Israeli really company, they need Chinese approval. Because the U.S. is at such odds with China and Huawei, it's being held up. Uh, it does need it. If it does get that approval, I think it will revisit the levels that we've seen before. Let's go to Jeffrey in New York. Jeffrey.
1: Hey, Jim, Jeff Wadham, J.W. Money. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. Jim, I'm reaching out in regard to Tellurian. On June 13th, there was an unusual option activity. I followed the trade by buying the stock. A month later, they announced the finalized deal with Total, who will buy 2.5 metric tons of natural gas, invested $500 million in Tellurian's terminal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next day, you had the chairman of Tellurian, Shreve Soki, on the show. He was extremely impressive, obviously one of the architects of modern liquid uh, a liquid natural gas world. Right. This Wednesday, an analyst, Cypress Nucleus came out with almost a 50% price target cut on Tolerian stock went from, or the, the cut went from $16 price target down to 9 the Reason for the downgrade was concern of gas price in the future. However, today, just 30 minutes before close, that same analyst announced he made a mathematical error regarding Tolerian's capital structure, but to focus on, quote-unquote, everything else he said. Would you agree, this is a No, master- I mean, look, he
0: got it wrong. I mean, I got to tell you, that was a really very difficult thing. He made a mistake in his model. The uh, quants and the algos jumped all over it. They traded six million shares. They knocked it down. And I look, it was a mistake, a legitimate mistake. But no, and it really hurt the stock. And I think that that's just a shame. Uh, that was not careful on the part of that analyst. And I think the stock down here is a bot. Next week will give us a hugely important read on the economy, and I'm not feeling very optimistic because so many stocks have run. Oh man, buddy, tonight, steal yourself. I'm dropping some serious knowledge about Nucor after our interview with the CEO last night. I'll tell you if now's the time to pick this one up. Ben, will Amazon's move to get out of the food delivery wars actually make shares of Grubhub tastier? I'm digging in. And it's been 50 years since the moon landing. I remember where I was. CNBC's own Morgan Brennan joins us from Kennedy Space Center. Take Canaveral, my old days, but kind of that way too now. Talk about the future of space exploration and how it relates to your
1: portfolio. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
0: For over a year, we've been waiting for the steel stocks to start benefiting from President Trump's 25% tariff on foreign competition. And this is exactly how it begins. A price increase here, price increase there. And the next thing you know, you're sitting on a Saturn V rocket going to the moon. I'm talking about the price hikes in flat rolled steel, the most basic kind of steel that Nucor, our favorite steel company, just put through a couple of weeks ago. That's right. $40 per ton price increase three weeks ago. Then they tacked on another $40 this last week. You know what that's called? That's called the upcycle. I've been waiting for it, and it should allow gigantic steel producers like Nucor, the largest in America, to make an enormous amount of money when it goes right. It's surprising both the analysts and the market. Why do I think the cycles finally arrive? Well, you have to understand, this industry is a weird trajectory. Things were looking good when the president slapped the 25% tariff on steel imports last spring. protect our, our producers from Chinese dumping, they subsidize steel production. Then they sell it all over the world for less than their cost of production, and a lot of it ends up here. Oh, it was the right thing for the president to do. But steel distributors who were worried about the tariffs pre-ordered a massive amount of steel to avoid a potential tariff-induced shortage. That made sense. Then when the economy started slowing last year, well, guess what? These service centers ended up having way too much supply. A glut. That led to vicious price cuts that weighed down the whole group. Even Nucor, the best-run company in the industry. well, Nucor didn't do too badly, they came close to making the numbers. I expected much better things after the tariffs went through. I was wrong. Instead, what happened is that the marginal players in the U.S. faltered because of the glut, a glut that was exacerbated by media hysterics about a potential steel shortage, at least according to Newcore CEO John Ferriola. Now, in the last six months, that inventory has finally at last been worked off. We know that because of these two successive precincts that I mentioned uh, in, in flat rolled steel. Now, I know if you're not an aficionado of the steel stocks, that an $80 per ton move may not sound like much. But I've traded the steel stocks for four decades and every single turn in the group started just like this couple of price hikes. Right now, Nucor is as lean as it's ever been, yet it's building new plants in anticipation of returning all sorts of higher-grade steels. You know, I think the Federal Reserve is about to cut interest rates, giving the economy a major boost. When that happens, I bet Nucor will be a terrific stock to own. In the past, every time we had an upcycle, our steel companies would ultimately be overwhelmed by foreign competition The Chinese would start dumping again. But this time, because of the tariffs, it will be a different story. About 30 years ago, I lived near uh, the headquarters of Bethlehem Steel, And that was at one point one of the largest companies in the world back when I was a kid. Bethlehem was long considered the country club of the Steels, by the way. They were making so much money. Why not? It owned two beautiful, not one, but two beautiful golf courses in the Saucon Valley for its executives. It had the highest paid, most bloated workforce, but particularly at the top that I'd ever come across. Back then, steel had been rising relentlessly, so the company had a ton of operating leverage. Every additional price hike led to a gigantic earnings beat. At one point, it was rumored in the, uh, you know, right before, let's say in the late 80s, that Bethlehem one day could earn $20 per share. Oh, and then the dumping began because our market was so robust. That led to an inventory bulge and price cutting across the board. We immediately shorted the heck out of Bethlehem Steel, at my old hedge fund, because this cycle reverses even more viciously. You know what? We didn't cover or ring the register until the company went bankrupt. It was one of our best trades ever. In fact, I named my cat Bessie, the nickname of Bethlehem Steel after that monster win. She had a lot of ticks and stuff. Anyway, now the opposite is finally occurring. Uh, now it's too late for Bethlehem, obviously, but it's not too late for Nucor and UE. While the upcycle was interrupted by the excessive inventory bef- bill before the tariff hit, we finally worked through that inventory. We know that otherwise the first price increase wouldn't stick, let alone the second one. That's why Nucor is a buy here. And if we get a couple of rate cuts, it will be a must-own stock. I want you to think of it as the chicken cyclical that will let you sleep at night. Chicken, because it's the least dangerous of all the steels to own, it's got a good balance sheet. Nucor's got better risk-reward, making it the best way to play the new Fed-induced presidential-endorsed steel cycle that I think is beginning right now. May have money's back there for the break. When the facts change, you need to be willing to change your mind like the late, great John Mander Keynes taught us. But how do you know if the facts have really changed? That's the question I keep pondering every time I think about Grubhub, the online food delivery system also known as seamless in New York. Back in February, I told you to run, don't walk away from Grubhub as well as all of its publicly traded competitors. Sell, 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 sell. The stock had already been obliterated falling from 149 last September to 83 at the time. I predicted more downside. Why? Because the delivery space has gotten way too crowded. Among Uber Eats, Store Dash, Postmates, Squares Caviar Service, Danny Meyer's Long Range Service Gold Belly, uh, Deliveroo, and Cloud Kitchens, that's, by the way, the latest venture from Travis Kalanick, the founder of Uber, there were just too many players competing for the small business. While competition's great for you as a consumer, it's the last thing you want to deal with if you're running a business. And Grubhub's got a ton of competition. The company's been spending money like crazy to defend its market share, and their efforts, well, let's just say they haven't been all that successful. Sometimes an industry will be booming like this one, but there's no real good way to invest in it. That's an important takeaway, people. Now, it, it turns out our sell call was good, as the stock's now down about 9% since i warned you away from it. However, in the past month and a half, Grubhub has rebounded dramatically from its lows, rising from 60 to 75. And it made me wonder if maybe I'm missing something or maybe something's changed. The reason? On June 11th, it was reported that Amazon would be shutting down its own online delivery service, Amazon Restaurants. <gasps> Immediately, Grubhub stock caught fire. Multiple analysts came out and told us that this was the major positive event that they're looking for. Bye, 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 bye. After all, if you can outlast Amazon, you gotta be in great shape, right? I mean, stands the reason? Not so fast. I think the buyers are getting ahead of themselves here. Amazon was never a major player in the food delivery space to begin with. One less competitor is a positive development for Grubhub, of course, but they've still got plenty of other rivals. And frankly, you can read Amazon's decision not so much as they gave up, but how about this as an indictment of the whole industry you got to remember, Grubhub's margins have been under serious pressure for some time. The company's spending a fortune to fend off private companies like DoorDash and uh, Postmates and everybody else who's piled into the business. That's not a very good sign, people. Now, in April, we stopped by Grubhub's headquarters to give CEO Matt Maloney a chance to tell a side of the story. Guy's a candid fellow. He's always willing to talk. You know, I asked him if all, all the ad spending was worth it. Here's what he said. So you think about it this way, you know your LTV, your lifetime value of your customer. Once they start ordering, we know that they they're lifers. They're on forever. So we we can we can make that that uh, that revenue model and then we know how much it costs to put the ad on there. So yes, over time as people see it more and more, it becomes less and less effective, but we're nowhere near our LTV okay, well- I always love it when a candid executive is willing to answer tough questions after I've criticized their company on air. Maloney thinks he's got a major opportunity to take share here, and it's worth it to spend the money because once he wins new customers, they'll stick with Grubhub forever. That's that long-term value, or LTV. I actually am not so sure about that. In my experience, people tend to toggle between delivery services in order to get what they want. If it's only on Grubhub, well, you'll use Grubhub. But if you want McDonald's, you have to use Uber Eats. If you want Chipotle, you have to use DoorDash. I just don't think there's that much differentiation or loyalty. Sure enough, when Grubhub last reported in late April, the company gave tepid sales and the EBITDA guidance for the next quarter, and the stock got hit. And it kept getting hit until we learned about that Amazon restaurant change. In response, the stock surged more than 8% in a single day. And frankly, it hasn't really looked back since. But I think this development is being blown way out of proportion. Amazon restaurants was tiny. It was only in a little more than 20 cities. When you actually read the analysis here, it's not exactly encouraging. As the Wall Street Journal put it in a cogent piece, quote, the rough and tumble food delivery business is swarming with competitors and is largely unprofitable, end quote. In other words, this industry was too competitive for Amazon, of all companies. I mean, how could that be possible for Grubhub? Besides, Amazon's still involved here. They're just doing it indirectly by investing in an alpha called Deliveroo. That's a British delivery system that's expanding to the rest of the world. Meanwhile, the competition, it just keeps getting more fierce. More and more of these delivery platforms are forming exclusive partnerships with major quick-serve chains. Dunkin' Donuts now delivers via Grubhub and Seamless, that's them. But Chili's uses DoorDash. Oh, and this is a fickle business. McDonald's, which reports next Friday, will be very interesting. I think it's going to be good. McDonald's had a deal with Uber Eats, but now they're diversifying, uh, partnering up with DoorDash, too. If you're a major restaurant chain, you can play these delivery platforms against each other to get much better terms. I know this. Now, we use Caviar, which is owned by Square, at our bar and our tavern in Brooklyn. We have no power over pricing whatsoever. We have to to price take. But I'll give this industry its due. You really almost have to have takeout and delivery these days if you're going to succeed, even if the delivery folks take a hefty double-digit percent of the check. What else? While Grubhub has been spending aggressively to protect its market share here, it turns out that DoorDash overtook them to become the largest food delivery service in America in May, 300,000 customers. Well, DoorDash is privately held, it just got $600 million in fundraising that valued the company at $12.6 billion. Global well, market smart cap isn't even $7 billion. Everybody's been focused on Amazon's exit, but maybe they should have been watching the ascent of DoorDash. I think DoorDash is a rapacious, tough competitor. So rapacious that there may be no winners in this battle. Plus, like with many of these internet plays, they can, they can toy with small businesses. State-level regulators, you know, they're trying to get involved. They may start to intervening on behalf of, say, Grubhub's customers. The New York State Liquor Authority recently rolled out new rules that would potentially force Grubhub to reduce its fees from 15 to 30% down to 10%. That would be amazing. The State Liquor Authority probably doesn't have the power to actually make it happen, though. Perhaps worst of all this, earlier this week, we broke some news here that I don't think people caught. We spoke to Rich Allison. He's the CEO of Domino's Pizza, after his company missed the numbers. Allison blamed part of the weakness on money-losing companies that are effectively being subsidized by their investors to take unprofitable market share. Listen to this.
2: I don't know how that's going to shake out once consumers actually have to pay the full cost
1: of that delivery, because those fees are quite substantial relative to the cost of the underlying food. I think we also have not yet seen what's going to
2: happen with the supply of restaurants on these platforms as, as well.
0: Ouch! Now, maybe Grubhub will surprise us when it reports its next quarter in a couple of weeks. But the bottom line is that Amazon's getting out of the food delivery space. That doesn't change anything. Grubhub's still facing relentless competition. I think it's way too risky to own here, even as they pioneered the online delivery business and were initially able to battle honorably and grow unfettered. But that was before there were a bunch of well-funded competitors fighting over the exact same customers. Greg in New York. Greg! Booyah, Professor Klein Thank you, Greg. the of a Street Attic now. It's my third book. Love doing the homework. <laughs> Thank you so much. Holds up, they say. What's going on? Uh, well, something that didn't
1: catch many headlines was that 45000 barrels of gin Beam caught fire a few weeks ago. So my question is twofold. One, when can we get together a long swimmer or our Sam and for some Jack Daniels or Woodbrook Preserve? And two... Jack Daniels is the main brand for Brown Foreman. It's been trading sideways. What do you think of
0: BFB? Now I like, actually like the, the brand. It's caught up in some tariff wars. I like the brand. Uh, but uh, just so you know, I mean, we at, uh, at the Longshoreman, which is the place that my wife co-owns, uh, well, I like co-own it. But they, we, that's where we serve the Browns. We just do Mexican stuff in part of San Miguel. I think Brown Foreman is a great brand. I think Diageo is doing better. Okay. Let's go to Dennis in Rhode Island, please. Dennis.
1: Booyah, Jim. Booyah. So uh, my question is about Alibaba. Um, I'm a current holder of Alibaba, and with the upcoming stock split in 2020, would you consider buying more now or wait until after
0: the split? Stock split creates no value, sir. I think that uh, you have to bet that the trade wars are going to end to buy Baba, and that's one of the reasons why I've been so low-key recommending any Chinese stock. It's just too difficult. All right, Amazon getting out of the food delivery space doesn't change much for Grubhub. It's still a and competitive space. Well, my buddy, tonight, we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of Neil Armstrong's Moonwalk, don't miss Morgan Brennan's report, yeah, our own, from Kennedy Space Center about how far we've come and where the next frontier space travel will take us. Then the dog days of summer are upon us. But before you kick back at the pool, you need to make sure your portfolio is in shape for the summer. That's right. It's MI diversified time. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer.
2: Fifty years ago,
1: the eagle has landed.
2: The first humans stepped foot on the moon. The historic Apollo 11 mission cinched America's dominance in space, a lead that continues but waned after the Cold War's close. Now, that's changing. Companies like Elon Musk's SpaceX pioneer reusable rockets that cut the price to go to orbit, ushering in a new era of billionaire-backed space exploration. That gives the U.S. more options as it rethinks its strategy for the final frontier.
0: It's easy to be cynical about the government these days, but when our leaders in Washington actually agree on something, we can do some incredible things in this country. Think about this. Tomorrow marks the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, and we made that happen After the Soviets beat us into orbit in 1961—boy, I remember that when I was in elementary school— President Kennedy vowed to put a man on the moon within the decade— The government spent a fortune making it happen, about $153 billion in today's dollars. That fueled a massive aerospace boom, and it also spurred a tremendous amount of innovation. Now, all day today, CNBC's Morgan Brennan has been reporting live from the Kennedy Space Center on the east coast of Florida, the site of the Apollo 11 launch. She's here with us tonight to talk about the anniversary and the most exciting trends in the space industry. Morgan, welcome to Mad Money.
2: Thank you so much, Jim. What an honor to be on your show tonight.
0: Well, it's an honor to have you. and You've done some fantastic reporting all day. Morgan, will there come a time where I can book a ticket to the moon?
2: Yes. The short answer to that is yes. The big question, I think, isn't when that, or whether that happens. I think the big question is when that happens. Certainly, we've seen this renewed push by the U.S. The Trump administration has announced a new program. It's called Artemis which is named after Apollo's twin sister, the goddess of the moon, which is very focused on getting another man and the first woman onto the lunar surface in the next five years. It is a very ambitious program, and I think that's really just the start of where these renewed lunar ambitions go. The whole idea here is to go back, to stay, to learn, and then to be able to establish a base on the moon to then travel to Mars and other places for deep space exploration. Well,
0: let me ask you, the world is uh, shrunk in the sense of what a government can do. there's all governments seem to be strapped. Are rich people more capable of making this happen than governments?
2: I think the, I, I think the answer to that question right now is yes, absolutely. Artemis is a good example of this. NASA Administrator Jim Bridenstine has basically come out and estimated that to make Artemis happen, it's going to take an additional $20 billion in funding over the next five years on top of the current NASA budget. That may sound like a lot of money, but compared to Apollo 50 years ago, it's really not. The reason he can even put an estimate like that out there is because of commercial space, because of companies like Blue Origin, which is backed by Jeff Bezos, and which has spent the last three years developing its own lunar lander called Blue Moon, that it is now pitching to NASA and that it will likely move to land on the moon, regardless of what happens with the government.
0: You know, Tesla reports next week. And sometimes I wonder whether after the tweeting storm uh, issue that Elon Musk is more focused on where you are than on the uh, car factories. Do people say that he's I mean, I saw one of his uh, reusables. Are people more excited about what he's doing than what Boeing's doing, what Bezos is doing?
2: Absolutely, without a doubt. I I think the best way to sum this up, Chad Anderson, who's the CEO of an early stage investment fund that is focused on space called Space Angels, told me that 10 years ago, there were a dozen privately funded space companies in the world. Today, that number is 462. Now, some of those names, some of those companies have been very specifically billionaire-backed, billionaire-fueled, but there is a lot of venture capital that is coming into the space as well. Uh, And you really are on the cusp of what is being called an entrepreneurial space age. In the case of SpaceX specifically, it is the other Elon Musk company, and it is a company that has been, over the years, because of its reusable rockets and the fact that it is drastically... Uh, been able to help cut and bring down launch costs. It's been profitable over the years. And now in the private market, it enjoys a valuation of more than $33 billion. So it's actually closing in on Tesla's market cap right now.
0: Well, think about this, Morgan. This is mad money that you're on. I think a lot of viewers hear that, (laughs) and they say, I want to buy stock. Do you think that there's a, a, a a publicly traded way to play the excitement that you're talking about?
2: a few publicly traded ways. I mean, you have what's the so-called old space companies, the defense contractors who've been doing space really since the Apollo era uh, and before. Your names like Lockheed Martin, Boeing, for example, Northrop Grumman, which also acquired Orbital ATK last year, Aerojet, Rocketdyne. There's an ETF out there called the UFO ETF that is focused on space companies, also satellite uh, providers, satellite um, manufacturers that are publicly traded like Viasat. But the startup ecosystem that is emerging right now, the so-called new space, is really going to see its first Wall Street test before the end of this year when Sir Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic becomes the first publicly traded commercial space flight company out in the public markets, and they are focused on space tourism. So we're just getting started.
0: Well, that's terrific. Look, I got to do this because uh, you are so good at the defense budget because I know that uh, we talk together a lot. People don't know the two talks to one uh, off air, but you know there's a real big uh, issues in Iran today uh, uh, that some people are actually saying war. Um, Boeing's involved. You mentioned all those defense contractors. Uh, is is that on anybody's mind that you're talking to today? War in the Gulf because it sent the stock market down 100 quick points, Dell.
2: Yes, and and on the flip side of that, what you did see is you did see the defense contractor stocks rally when those headlines did break earlier in the trading session today. Um, I don't think anybody that I've spoken to in terms of the defense and space community, the CEOs I speak to, they hope that we don't see an escalation or a conflict with Iran. That being said, our capabilities and the lethalities, the money that is being put towards our ability to fight wars, heaven forbid we have to. They feel that they're ready, and it certainly speaks to the fact that we have seen an increase in the defense budget over the last couple of years. There's been a lot of speculation about whether that could continue to increase, but when you see geopolitical threats like this one with Iran, I think there's good reason to believe, especially as the 2020 defense budget moves through Congress right now, that you'll continue to see some sort of increase or at least maintenance at these elevated levels.
0: Well, Walker, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I want to congratulate you for just a fabulous fabulous bunch of hits, as we call them in reporting, and best of luck, and uh, <laughs> uh, look, you covered this beat really well. I want people to know that because I follow these stocks, you follow them better. Morgan Brennan, thank you so much for coming on Mad Money.
2: Jim, thank you. It's my pleasure.
0: Mad Money's back after the break. It is- and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, skate? the light rail I'm gonna start with
1: Adam in Iowa. Adam! Booyah, Jim, long time listener, first time caller. I like that long time, wanted... first time. My stock for you is uh, Workiva, WK. Should I buy some more of rich? Should I hold it or should I sell it and go? There are
0: now so many cloud-based mobile companies that I have to take a breather and do work on this. I'm always looking for the next Kramer Family Fave so Let's do work and I'll come back. Let's go to JJ in New York. JJ. Uh,
1: Professor Kramer, your thoughts on Tegna buy, sell, or hold? Uh,
0: I don't really want to get bigger in the uh, in the entertainment business, uh, TV business at this very moment. Uh, my travel Trust has a very big position Viacom. I think that that's a very cheap stock. Let's go to Richard in Florida. Richard!
1: yeah, Jim. Booyah. My fiance, Carly, and I watch your show every night and just want to say thank you for all that you do. Oh, you're our terrific. Is, thank you.
0: Our stock is uh, Neptune Wellness ticker NEPT. Another one I have to do more on. Why? Because the supplement industry has become quite controversial. And I can't just come out and say, you know what, I like a supplement company because there's a lot of short squeezes and there's a lot of, uh, let's say, lack of imp- of clarity. And so I'm going to get some. Let's go to Sam in Ohio. Sam!
1: Booyah, Jim Kramer. Booyah. Hey, we we got earnings expected on Thursday. Any u- other upward catalyst on uh, Novocure? Well, you know, I, got, I, I
0: recommended Novocure in the 15s and 20s. It's now at the 69s because a friend of mine who was supposed to pass away uh, had Novocury, uh, had brain cancer, and lived an additional uh, additional three years. And I'm standing by the fact that you don't want to buy it for the earnings. You want to stand by, for the, you want to own it because it's a really a remarkable product. So let's not play the earnings with that one. John in Michigan, John. Kramer, how are you? Ah, Kramer's okay. How about you?
1: Not bad. All right. I'm 20 years old. I've been investing into my Roth IRA since about my junior year of high school, and I had a question on Ally Financial.
0: You know what? This is a financial that's doing quite well. It's funny because the automotive market isn't that hot, but they're well run. It's doing well. I mean, look, I'm more of a J.P. Morgan Bank of America guy, but I'm not going to disagree. This one's doing quite well. Let's go to Derek in Ohio. Derek. Jim, hey, uh, Roper Technologies, my largest holding, reports next week. Look, uh, this is an industrial year. company that I have always liked. I think it does a terrific job. It's one of unheralded. If they would ever come on, it would be so great. It's a metal-bending company that just does a fantastic job. Let's go to Frank in New York. Frank! Frank, yeah! How are you, Kramer? How are you doing, hey. buddy? How are your thoughts
1: on accelerated diagnostics?
0: Man, we're going to do a lot of homework because this is in vitro diagnostics. And again, that's a controversial business. We'll come back. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the
1: Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
0: As I said earlier in the show, next week's earnings are pivotal in giving us a glimpse into our economy and into the heart of earnings season. And one lesson proves itself very important, and that's diversification may be your only real savior when things start going nuts next week. And that's what we're playing them at diversify. And this is where you call me, tell me your top five holdings. I tell you if your portfolio is diverse enough, maybe you need to mix it up a little. First up, we have a tweet from at Russell 18679516. And he says, at Mad Money uh, on CNBC, thanks for what you do for us home gamers. Yes. Uh, am I diversified? Apple, United Health, Microsoft, Dow, which is Dow Chemical, J.P. Morgan, hashtag MadMoney, hashtag CrayAmerica, hashtag am I diversified? Okay. This is actually a little harder than you think. I'm going to tell you why. Because right now, this and this are no longer trading together. Now they're both technology, but they have they have been completely differentiated because of the incredible quarter that Microsoft played. But we so, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna allow both of them. I know that's unusual, but they're not trading with each other, which is what we're really concerned about. JP Morgan, la- largest bank with a fantastic quarter. Dow will report soon. I, I own that for my travel trust. I am very concerned about the quarter, not about the dividend. I think it's safe. And then United Health reported a quarter that I was so furious about because they did not give you a heads up, and they could have given you a heads up that there were some. Things that were wrong, which is why the stock went down so badly. But it's healthcare. I'm sorry. I, I'm emotional about it. I was emotional on the call this week with club members. Uh, but we got healthcare. Uh, we got an industrial. We have a bank. And we're going to say this is sui generis. This is by itself Microsoft and then Apple. I'm not just saying two texts and you got to make a change. I can't do that. I need you to own both. All right. That's good. That was a different kind of lesson. Let's go to Drew in Georgia. Drew. Jim,
1: my teacher, I love you. As a peer, I want to live off dividends, but am I diversified? Okay. Okay, I got Disney. I got Lockheed Martin. I got Silicon's Lab, S-L-A-B. I got MasterCard, and I got Under Armour.
0: Interesting. This is a very interesting portfolio. Okay, that's a Lockheed Martin, big defense contractor. Some people, by the way, are fretting about te- Turkey and their relationships up in Lockheed. I, I think it could be right to be worried. Technology, okay, so we've got uh, Chips. We've got Under Armour, which I think is having a very good quarter. Just so you know, I think Kevin Plank is really back, all right? The Walt Disney Company is relying on Disney Plus, and 38 out of 52 weeks should be dominated by their slate. And MasterCard is FinTech. So FinTech, entertainment, apparel... Attack, defense, that is completely diversified. Hey, let's go to Georgia. Let's go to Riley in Georgia. Riley.
1: Yes, sir, Dr. Kramer. Thank you so much for taking my call.
0: Oh, I love being a doctor. What's going on?
1: Absolutely. My, my stocks, uh, I've got to see what you think uh, okay. if I'm diversified. i got Bank of America, Apple, Merrick Gold, Disney, and Facebook.
0: Well, wow, some old, familiar names here. Okay, let's go to work. Uh, bank of America, amazing bank. We had Brian Moynihan on the uh, just yesterday. I thought he acquitted himself very well, and it's a terrific situation. Okay? Walt Disney, again, the number one entertainment company in the world. Barack, I don't think there's anything wrong with having gold. As a matter of fact, we need we need... Uh, Mark Bristol won because gold stocks are just soaring here. Uh, Facebook, obviously a very uh, strong technology company, and then Apple. So we did Apple and Microsoft. Can we do Apple and Facebook? Again, they don't trade with each other. I am allowing this. I know that some of you probably think that that is not correct. I will explain it in a piece next week. Entertainment, gold, financial, uh, internet, media, and hardware, which I wish were frankly, recurring revenue. And that's what I'm going to talk about. All right, let's go to Keith in Wisconsin. Keith.
1: yeah, Dr. Kramer.
0: Hey, man, I must thank be a doctor. Everyone's calling me. What's up?
1: Thank you for taking my call. I'm a longtime listener, first time caller. Perfect. Thank you for everything you do for the home gamer. The uh, two shows, the books that are both great, all great reads. Thank you. I think of you as a modern day Ben Graham. Uh, oh no! no. He's a brilliant run. man.
0: I am a communicator. He's a brilliant man. I try to communicate common sense in a way that I think helps people best be handling their own portfolio or be best client. How can I help?
1: And I'm very thankful for all the uh, advice you've given. So I haven't made many mistakes. Thanks. I'm hoping I'm hoping I'm diversified, but also best re diversified. Okay. My five my five positions are Apple, Berkshire Hathaway, Bristol Myers. Caterpillar and Costco. Am I diversified?
0: We got a big week next week, you know, because both Caterpillar and Bristol Myers report. All right, Bristol Myers. Uh, I I think that Giovanni Caffaro is doing a great job. That cell gene is going to work, but the stock is down all the way because uh, they had to get rid of Tesla. Uh, I think that Bristol's good. That's a drug company. Berkshire Hathaway, obviously, it's Warren Buffett. We're going to go with that it's a conglomerate. Costco, maybe one of the that's part of, part of watch. Watch being uh, Walmart, Amazon, Target, Costco, and Home Depot. Uh, Caterpillar reports next week. I think it's going to be a very good quarter. And then Apple again. Technology, industrial, retail, conglomerate, drug. Wow, that is very diversified. And I want you to stick with Kramer. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I'll see you Monday!